0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) A lot of familiar faces, a lot of unfamiliar faces. So for those of you who know me, no introduction needed. For those of you who don't, let me take just a moment and get the most, the least awkward part of today out of the way. My name is, as Tim said, Will Albright, uh, my wife Emily, maybe you've seen her around, uh, five-year-old son Walter, um, three-year-old daughter Ava, the two cutest kids downstairs, so I'm sure you've probably seen them, and you can point them out. Uh, in case you're interested in qualifications of some sort or anything, I am an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. Um, in case this sort of thing is a big deal to you. And I do have a couple of degrees with impressive titles that cost me time and resources and money. and Well, they cost me time and money. In a previous life, I was on staff here as the discipleship pastor from January of 2014 to December of 2018. So even if you don't know me, I'm sure you've heard rumors of me. We, uh, it was just three weeks short of exactly five years, and in December of 2018, uh, my family and I left here to pursue God's call to be the lead pastor of an AG church over in the other Maryland. You know what I'm talking about? Montgomery County, Maryland. We were there a little over a year before the fun began, put it together, 2018, December 2018, a little over a year later, when we had to shelter in place for uh, a little over a year to flatten the curve. 13 months of not meeting in person, Zoom everything, recorded videos on Sunday, On top of that, another three months of mask mandates. They finally lifted their mask mandate in June of 2021. Um, By August of 2021, we were pretty much at the end of our sanity. I tendered my resignation on August the 30th. Preached my last sermon on October the 17th. And I want you to know, God is good. God is so good. Because three weeks later everything in the truck, we were coming back to the Eastern Shore. (laughs) Back home. Literally back home. God isn't just good. You know, God has a sense of humor. We moved right back into the house we had moved out of three years prior. (laughs) Some of my furniture was still in the attic. (laughs) I forgot all about that. We moved some of our furniture right back into the same place it had been. And I can tell you that is a consistent theme in my life since I decided to follow Jesus 15 years ago that God always shows up. God always provides. We're back in the community that we love, the church we love with our chosen family. You know, you have family (laughs) that you don't pick. But then you have family you decide that you're going to live around and be around. And those are your people. Yes. This is our people. I got a great job with a great company. Fantastic. Everything is great but the economy. <laughs> and that, I promise, is my last government joke. <laughs> a valid. And some people have asked... Now that we're back in town, what do we call you? Uh, do we call you Pastor Will? Or is it just Will? You know, honestly, I don't care. By the end of the day, you might call me something completely different. <laughs> it's not awkward for me. You, you, whatever you're comfortable with, it really never has mattered to me. The pastor is a call. It's a gift. It's not a job per se. So, um, it doesn't matter. It's not awkward. For me, like if it was awkward, I wouldn't be here, here, right now. And and Pastor Josh wouldn't let me up here when he's not even here. He would never, never leave his pulpit to someone if it was awkward, especially. Maybe my greatest qualification of all for you. The titles and all that. So we're going to be continuing in this series from the beginning. How are you doing with this series? Good? Good? Yes. Edified? Yes. Terrified? <laughs> are you enjoying? How many of you were here last week? Yes. Was that a good sermon or what? Yes. Pastor Josh did a great job. Great job. What a minefield of a topic there's nothing he could have got up here and said that wouldn't have made somebody mad. Not one thing. But boy, on such a tough subject, such a personal subject, navigated it gracefully. If you appreciated it, be sure to let him know. Appreciate your pastors. Appreciate them. Even if you don't think they're doing a good job, appreciate them even if you disagree with them, and that's allowed. You're allowed. That's civility. I don't know if you know what that is. We don't seem to have that around in America, but that's civility. That was a culture joke, not a government joke. Aren't you glad to be in a church that isn't afraid to confront the issues and the tensions and the conflict head on? doesn't back down and stands up for grace and truth and preaches kingdom and gospel. And aren't you glad you aren't the ones to have to get up here and follow that up? <laughs> Somehow, the guy who doesn't work here anymore. All right. Well, we're just going to jump into it here. No foreplay. Um, Because I assure you, you are not getting out of here prematurely. We're going to jump right in here to John 4. and I promised my wife I wouldn't do anything obscene. So I'm a man of my word. I did not say I wouldn't use double entendre and innuendo. All right, John 4. Let's look at it together. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact... It was not Jesus who baptized him, but his disciples, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Okay, little context, all right, just to kind of set the geography here of what we're talking about. Jesus, in, in John chapter 2, he's in Jerusalem, right, he clears the temple. Pastor Josh preached through John, right, so you know this, for those of you who were here, right, it was how long, six years, <laughs> so you know John. Chapter two. He's in. I was. I've been through them. Okay, I've been through them. Three years in Mark. I earned my stripes. All right. John chapter two. Jesus. He 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 overturns the temple. Right. He's in Jerusalem. He leaves from there. Uh, he talks to Nicodemus in chapter three, and then he leaves there. He goes out to the Judean countryside. And as we come to verse four, we see that he's going to move north. So. He's down here in the southern region, right? You have the Dead Sea here. Down here, you have Judea and Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And up here, you have the Jordan River goes up, and there's the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to go here, right? You get it, right? Clear. Up to Galilee. Verse 4, now watch this. Now, he had to go through Samaria. That's the piece in between. But I want you to notice... Now he had to go. In the Greek, it might be best understood as he was compelled. Yes. He was directed. He had to go. Because in John's gospel, Jesus is portrayed as someone who is always driven and moved by God. Right? It's the, it's the book that says, I only do what my Father in heaven tells me to do. So big theme in John. John. Only does he's directed by God, he's following God. He had to go there. Why am I telling you this? I want you to understand that what we're about to read through John chapter 4 is not an accident, it's not random, it's not happenstance. This is a divinely appointed encounter. Verse 5 So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son. Jacob's well was there. You know, you know, right? And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, we're going to jump ahead without jumping ahead. So just follow me here. I want you to think about Israel and what you know about the climate. It's pretty hot. Dry. Arid. If you were going to go to a well... If you were gonna go get water and you had to do that each and every day, what time of day do you think you would do that? Not in the evening, right? I mean, it's cooler in the evening than it is, say, midday, but if if you waited that long, what are you gonna drink all day? You wouldn't have any water to drink, uh, to cook with, to do chores. What about noon? It's the hottest part of the day, crazy morning most likely, right? Yes. So Jesus is there at noon. He's likely there all by himself. We'll see that in a minute. Anybody that could help it would not be out in the sun at noon, but you've already read ahead. Verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So notice Jesus is there. He's by himself. A Samaritan woman comes at this odd hour to draw water. It's strange she should not be there at this time of day. But remember what I told you. What we are about to see is a divinely appointed yes. encounter. Yes. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. Remember, Jesus is alone. Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for jews do not associate with samaritans it's important to know that there was some historical animosity between the respective people groups and aren't you thankful that john included these little parentheses these little editorial commentaries to let us know what's going on as we're told jews and samaritans do not associate Simply put, the Jewish people would have considered them to have a very mixed ethnic heritage and they had some differing views on God and worship, which will kind of be a part of the conversation with her and Jesus later, but we're not really going to deal with that too much. Just want to make you aware. So notice this. There are several reasons why Jesus speaking to this woman, let alone asking her to draw him some water and give him a drink, might be seen scandalous. In many ways, this woman was an outcast. First of all, she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. Second, she's a she. She's a woman. Safe to assume in the classic definition of a woman. Not a good look in that day. The arrival of this woman sets up a crisis for traditional Jewish custom of the day. Not only did Jews avoid contact with Samaritans, but Jewish men avoided speaking with women in public, even their own wives. Don't you get any ideas? I see the wheels turning. I see them turning. And then you have this other reason, this mystery reason, whatever this reason is, she's coming out by herself at this odd time of day to draw water instead of coming out in the morning when every other woman in town would have done so. And those of you who've read this already know that, but hopefully maybe one, I can surprise one of you. I don't know, okay. But you can see from the woman's response, right? You want me to give you a drink? That she's clearly confused. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask this of me? Jesus answered her in verse ten, If you knew the gift of God who and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Again, the woman is confused. you you just asked me for a drink and now you're offering me a drink of some strange water that's alive? I mean, even then, she knew you don't take candy from strangers in a van. (laughs) Right? You asked me for a drink and now you're offering me a drink and I've got the bucket and you don't have a bucket. What in the world... Have I gotten myself into coming out here in the heat of the day? He's delusional. He's delusional. I know it. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Ha) ah. So Jesus lays it out a little more clear for her. He tells her this isn't water or any other kind of liquid as you might think of it. This isn't about water at all. But notice the woman's response in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now she's still confused. She keeps thinking that this, this is, conversation is about physical, material, tangible, palpable water, but notice this, she went from, I don't know what it is that you're trying to sell me here, uh, but I don't think I want any of it, so well, okay, maybe if I can get something out of this here. Man, if I don't have to come out here and lug this bucket to and fro anymore, pick you up on this strange water you have. That don't sound so bad after all. But again, it's not about water. This is about something a little deeper, yes. a little more personal. Yes. In fact, it's not about physical water at all. Jesus is telling her, spoiler alert, that he can give her the Holy Spirit. Yes. A spiritual spring of water that wells up to eternal life. Yes. Verse 16, he says this, go call your husband and come back. I I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands. And the man you have now, he ain't your husband. What you have said is quite true. And we start to see the picture a little more clearly. Now we can begin to deduce the mysterious third reason this woman might have been seen as scandalous, so to speak. And the reason why she wasn't just an outcast as a Samaritan for a Jewish person, or that she was an outcast as a woman, but she was an outcast even among her outcast ethnic group. She's an outcasted outcast. And outcast. She couldn't come to the well in the morning with the other women because, well, she has a past. She hasn't had a husband or two or even three or four, but five. And after the fifth didn't work out, she decided to forgo the whole notion of marriage and just shack up with the next dude. Jesus' intention in mentioning these things was not to create a sense of guilt in her. Notice how Jesus speaks to her always keeping her dignity intact. Notice how he never belittles her, but he talks to her like a human being. He confronts her plainly, but he never belittles her. He wasn't trying to guilt her, but to confront the pain in her relationships with men. This would accentuate her thirst for a meaningful relationship with God and make her receptive to the revelation that Jesus is offering. The striking thing about all of this is not the number of husbands or lovers that this woman had lived with nor even the man she now had was not her husband but that Jesus had such knowledge about her personal life. He knew the intimate details. He knew all about her. He didn't just know what had happened in her past but he knew what was in her heart. He could perceive it. And he knew that the thirst that she had, she was trying to quench with the wrong things. He knew, as the old country song goes, that she was looking for love in all the come on, sing it with me. All the wrong places, looking for love in too many. To your feet, let's go all together. Searching her hearts and looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of come on guys just leave me hanging just as she misunderstood the physical water and the spiritual water she was confusing her spiritual need for love and acceptance with the physical and when one person stopped fulfilling this need she just moved right along to the next looking for love in all the wrong places the I <laughs> The poet Mary Oliver, says this: "Love is the one thing the heart craves, and love is the one thing you can't steal. But don't we try? Look at it in all the wrong places Don't we try to find it in all the wrong places? Yes. Don't we try to fulfill to Fulfill our spiritual needs, our spiritual thirst with the wrong things. We use cheap imitations, temporary and material substances, relationships, hobbies, a whole host of gadgets, gizmos, and doodads that we buy thinking are going to make us happy and fulfill us in some way. And then we always get tired of them and we move on to the next. i doing great, Ms. Gladys. You're doing great today. <laughs> I preached for three years in another church. Miss Gladys has already said more than everybody there put together in three years. And as you can clearly see, I ain't half bad. And then we always get tired of it and move on to the next thing. But physical things can never replace or be a substitute for our spiritual needs. For this woman, it was sex and relationships. Maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe that's not you. That's fine. This is a series about sex. So we're going to talk about sex and relationships. Maybe for you, it's one of those other things. Amazon, Facebook, relationships. I don't know. Fill in the dot. When I say sex, you just change the word in your mind to whatever it is that you try to fill that need with. For this woman, it was sex and relationships, and I can't help but wonder how many of us might be able to, could be able to, possibly just a little bit, relate. Maybe, possibly, might be doing the same things in our lives. Listen, sex is great. Ain't nobody denying that one. (laughs) Nobody denying that one. It's been declared from this stage more than once, and not just by me. If you can take anything away from this series, you can take away this. Sex is great, comma, in its proper God-designed context. Within a godly, God-centered marriage, the only greater blessing than sex is the fruit of that labor. Even if you do want to just... just, (laughs) Those cutest little kids there are downstairs, I'm telling you. You gotta understand this. There aren't any prudes or Puritans around here. Sex is great. But think about this Is there any other situation in life where you're more vulnerable with another person? Not just physically bearing it all, but emotionally, personally. To be naked and unashamed with another person. Just a biological man and a biological woman naked and unashamed with each other before God. And all of their God-given glory. As it was in the beginning. (laughs) That's about as vulnerable as you get. It's emotionally vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there. And hoping to be affirmed and accepted and loved for who you are. It's not just your body that you're putting out there, but your whole self. Every aspect of your being. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question here. Why do that outside of a loving, affirming, committed, devoted relationship where you have stood together before God and loved ones, publicly vowing and promising to be all in all for that other person? Why would you put yourself in such a vulnerable position with someone who may or may not truly be dedicated and committed to you? It, that's right. Outside of marriage sex is a cheap imitation for what you're looking for. Woo, I can promise you that because I've driven down both avenues. <laughs> and inside of a committed and loving marriage it is hands down no comparison, 100 times better and more fulfilling. Because it's complete. Yes. It's perfectly Trinitarian, just like God. Yes. Physically, emotionally, spiritually complete because it's God-honoring. God is in it. Yes. As Christians, we're called to live a God-honoring life in every season of life, no matter the season of life we're in. God-honoring no matter what the season. That's right. Team- so if you're married, then you're called by God, to live in a God-honoring marriage, loving, committed, self-sacrificial, putting the other person before yourself kind of relationship with as much sex as you want and can handle or have time for. (laughs) But if you aren't married, you don't get to pretend to be married. You aren't called to partake of the gift and the blessing of married folks. Folks. If your current season of life is that you have a friend, or this day and age, multiple friends, I and maybe you do or maybe you do not live together, then God's calling your life in this season is to live in a God-honoring way. If you aren't married, you forfeit the benefits of marriage. Even if you have friends that you say come with benefits. If your current season of life is singleness, then God's call in your life is to live a God-honoring single life. As plain as I can put it, if you aren't in a season of marriage, if you aren't called to marriage in your current season, then you aren't called to sexual activity. Even plainer, keep it in your pants. Keep the pants on. This is a series about some pretty serious stuff. There's no mention of words. Because it's dangerous. I don't know if you realize that. Maybe young, you don't. You just say, well, whatever, who cares? This is serious stuff. This is sex is great. That's why it's such a powerful thing. and such a terrible temptation. If sex wasn't great, it wouldn't be a temptation. We wouldn't have to worry about it. it wouldn't be a struggle. You know, the enemy loves Nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy That's right. and to sabotage your spiritual walk. That's right. Sex irresponsibly and out of proper context will dam up that wellspring of living water that God has given. Yes. Yes. And listen, don't try to sell me on the foolishness, but I've got needs. You can sell that line to some other fool. I've been around a block or two, time or two. And I can promise you that of the needs that you have, sex isn't one of them. Listen, it might feel like it, it might seem like it, but you will not die from not having sex. (laughs) I promise you, I Googled it. (laughs) Married folks with little kids. I'm still here, (laughs) and I'll say this, a good night's sleep is hard to beat. (laughs) Sex is not a need, it's an urge, a compulsion, it's a desire, and we live in a culture that rather forcefully encourages us to go after our desires, no matter what, no matter the consequences and no matter what those desires are. If it makes you happy It's another song I won't sing for you. If it makes you feel good, then you do it. Go after it. The problem is that culture doesn't teach us wisdom or discernment. That do it, whatever makes you happy philosophy, that way of life is only partially true at some times. There's nothing wrong with doing what makes you happy or feels good in and of itself. But you have to have wisdom and discernment to know the right time and the right place The proper context, you have to train yourself and dedicate yourself to discern what it is that you should strive for and then when you should strive for it. Listen, God desires for you to have a pleasurable and happy life. He didn't send Jesus for nothing just to be some sort of killjoy. He sent Jesus to give you life and that more abundant he didn't give you the gift of the Holy Spirit within you so that you would become some rigid, robotic, rule-following automaton with no emotion and the life and vitality sucked out of you. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> he has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. He has empowered you to live a life like the one he has intended from the beginning. But you have to choose to walk in it. He has given every good gift needed to live a victorious life. But you have to choose to walk in it. He's not going to do it for you. I tried. He didn't do it. You have to choose. And if you do, he will walk with you hand in hand. That's right. And if you don't, he's going to chase you and pursue you. Mm-hmm. You're going to be so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Listen, there's always grace. Always grace. There's always forgiveness. There's always love. It, God never, never keeps that away from us. That's right. It's inexhaustible. He never runs out of supply. However, habitual, I'm gonna step back because there's an echo. (laughs) Habitual, willful, living outside of the will of God. He won't pull his grace, he won't pull his love, he won't pull his forgiveness or mercy, but he will pull his favor. That's right. Teach it. And all the good things that his favor brings, you're gonna be so frustrated. You're gonna be so frustrated. That's not victory. That is not victory takes discipline and self-control, but God has called you to it. He has empowered you to be able to live it out. He has given you every gift that you need. It's a whole part of the pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me thing that Jesus talks about. I don't know. Anybody ever read the red words? Sex is great, and it's a great gift and blessing that God has given us, but there aren't any shortcuts to God's blessings. You can't jump in line. And single folks, don't get married just to have sex. It's like buying a 747 for the little pack of peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying right there? <laughs> uh, uh, it's not me, I didn't, I didn't make that That's not my original line. Some of you know that. There's no shortcuts to God's blessings. You cannot cheat or lie to obtain his gifts. You can't steal them. And you can't earn them. They're gifts and they're freely given. It's only through God's design, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love that you receive them. It is through God's will that we receive them. How can you receive them if you are outside of God's will? If you're not in the will... You don't get the benefits of the will. All right, verse 19. Let's move along. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And no, she's not talking about me. Although some of you may be saying that right now, right? Sir, the woman said, Jesus, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you choose claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman. No, that's not how Jesus said. Think of this. Don't go home and try this either, because that's not the way Jesus said it. Ma'am. Miss. Lady. It's a polite one. It's not woman. <laughs> Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Remember how I told you they believed kind of, different things. uh, Closing the loop on that. All right, moving on. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. Geography doesn't matter. It's no longer relevant. God is here. God is there. God is everywhere. He is within you. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Boom, light bulb. Oh, I don't know that I completely understand what you were talking about, but okay, I'll be back. (laughs) Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what did you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did this Sunday only. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now, before we get to Jesus' response, I want to... To take a second, put yourself in the scene. Picture yourself there with Jesus and his disciples. Think about his divinely appointed encounter that he has just had with this outcast woman. You're standing at the well and you look up and as described in verse 30, an entire town of religious and ethnic misfits and outcasts is making their way towards you. And Jesus says this, my food... I sent you to reap that which you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and now you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And here, we want to see the result of that divinely appointed encounter. encounter. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I did. He knew me. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of what you said. They believed because of what she said. But now we have experienced it for ourselves. We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Because one scandalous outcast among the outcast woman who couldn't even come to fill her water bucket with the others had an encounter with Jesus. The dynamics and the destiny of an entire town was radically transformed. Yes, yes, yes. And as it happened with all of them, it can happen with you. Yes, I know because that's my story, too. Mary Oliver isn't the only poet around. And many of you that I know, that's your story. One encounter with Jesus changed it all. The point of this passage is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so should your sex life or your lack of sex life. There's not any part of your life that the gospel doesn't reach. My life laid down. I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Can't sing it with a straight face if you ain't living it. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. The passage is about Jesus and the salvation he offers and what it can do to your life. You know, salvation isn't just a magic ticket to heaven when you die. Heaven isn't the point it's thrown in. It's a package deal. You got it. You get it. We're living it. You're a citizen of the kingdom. But salvation is the redemption of all things here and now and all things to come in the future. It's the returning of things to the way and the design of life. It was supposed to be from the beginning. The grace and love and truth found in the good news of Jesus is that God has a king on the throne of his kingdom, a kingdom which you are a citizen of. Yes. You already got it. The good news of Jesus and his kingdom is that God is active and actively restoring and redeeming no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, or no matter what you might be calling there at this very moment. You have hope. And you have purpose, and God can use you for his glory. A glory in which you share. You share in God's glory. You're a joint heir with Christ. You are chosen and adopted into his household. You've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a promise of God's love for you. And his intentions toward you as one of his own special, precious possessions. How many months did you spend in Ephesians before I even got here seven months ago? That's Ephesians. You're chosen. You're adopted. God chose you from the beginning to be a part of his kingdom. And that he's got a king on the throne. And that the power to raise him from the dead is living inside of you. Yes, yes. Living water flows within you. A spring of water that wells up to eternal life. And the beauty of a spring is that it's its own source of water. It flows naturally. And if you don't dam it up with junk, it never goes stale or stagnant. But it keeps a fresh supply flowing and flowing and flowing. Yes, teach, teach it. Here's what I want you to know. Maybe you messed up. Maybe you have a past. I got one. I don't know about anybody else. I got one. Maybe you're messing up right now. But it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. That's right, yeah. Your past doesn't define you. That's right, yeah. See, there's a lot of things we like to define ourselves with, but none of them matter. The only thing that matters in your identity, your definition of yourself, Ephesians for how many months, <laughs> is what God says about you. Yes, yes. And until what you say about you and God says about you do this... Lacking victory. You got to bring them in line. You are what he says you are. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It matters what you choose to do right now. And in the future. Don't fall for cheap imitations when only God will do. One of my favorite quotes is this. St. Augustine speaking of our striving for things that are not of God. For you have made man for yourself, and restless is the human heart until it comes to rest in you." Listen, a Folex is still a Folex. No matter how hard you try to sell it as a Rolex, it's still a Folex. No matter how hard you try to convince yourself, you might wear it on your wrist, and it might keep time at least twice a day, but it's still a fake cheap knockoff, imitation of the real McCoy. And everyone knows it. Don't fall for cheap imitations. You're better than that. And you deserve better than that. You are worth it. did it come across as too harsh. It's a serious topic. It's a serious subject. This, is, this series is serious. It'll burn you. You've got to get this stuff right. And God has given you everything that you need to succeed. Everything. Every good gift. You are not lacking. So God, we Thank you for you, for your presence in our lives. your working and dwelling with us. We thank you for the good gifts, the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And we pray for your wisdom and your discernment to use those gifts in a manner that honors and glorifies you. For those of us who struggle with desires and temptations, we pray for courage and guidance in overcoming those roadblocks and obstacles that would hinder our walk and our relationship with you. We pray that in all our desires that you would help us to discern the godly from the ungodly. Lord, that you would empower us in a mighty way to overcome the temptation to fulfill our desires in an ungodly way. And that you would lead us to express and fulfill those desires in a holy and godly way in your way may we not dam up the spring of living water you have given may we not seek after cheap thrills and cheap imitations that lead to decay and death and destruction but that we would seek to live a life dedicated to you hand in hand, step by step walking in your love and grace and truth moment by moment having divinely encounters at your well of living water. God, we thank you and we love you for all you are and all you do. And We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being a captive and gracious audience while I'm not eight months of rust off if God is laying something on your heart this morning whether that's something from the message or otherwise our prayer partners are going to be up front the rest of you God be with you as you make your day make your way out today Amen See you later